Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Hey, TDR fam. With Jesus on the road and out of the studio, we invited friend of the show and executive producer of HBO's OG, Wally Eltawashi, to co-host this week. Wally and Charlie riff on a variety of subjects, from the effects of technology on imagination to the definition of art to content creation in the age of AI. And then in Courage or Cringe, the guys weigh in on Dolly Parton's rejection of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the NCAA Division I domination by transgender athlete Leah Thomas, and finally, the Grammy Awards cancellation of Kanye West. This is going to be a good one, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of TDR. The great Wally Eltawashi on TDR this morning. Glad to be back. You know, the, the, one of the things I love about you is your spirit of adventure, my friend, because like the moment we found out that, you know, Jesus is traveling this week uh, for our fans to know. So he's out in Atlanta, but we were on a call and you're like, I'll do it. I'll step in. So this is a first time ever, my friend, mm-hmm. that we have a sit-in host, but you're a friend of the show and Thank have you. been up for a while. So uh, having me. great to have you. I had a great experience last time. I can't, I can't wait to, yeah. uh, to hear how this thing goes. Yeah. By the way, my wife asked me because I was talking to her, I was like, you know, we're doing the show with Wally or I'm doing the show with Wally, not as a guest, but as a co-host. And she was like, well, you know, what's Wally's perspective on stuff? Like, how does he view the world? And I was like, you know what? I mean, I know on the subjects we've had you on the show before, but I never like really asked you like, you know, how, how you describe yourself? How do you define yourself maybe politically, religiously, business-wise? Like, do you have a way, like a something you would say, you know what I'm saying? Like how you define yourself or place yourself on a uh, spectrum? I'm a general optimist mm. to a fault. Yeah. Um, That's true. I can affirm that too. Generally, an optimist to a fault. Um, kind of need to be in Hollywood, no? I wouldn't say I'm religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah. I think there is a, everyone has a purpose, so there is a higher calling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and there are times living in LA, as you know, you live in LA, there, it can get to you sometimes. So I would say on a scale, I'm of a 75 optimist, 25%. And then you just have to kind of, hopefully that 25% gets you to the 75 Jenny love sports. Yeah, sure. Jenny love music, and uh, I'm always I'm curious. Yeah. I always want to know why. Yeah. Like why is that way? Why can't it be this way? So I'm just a naturally curious person, and I'm just trying to solve things that you know sometimes 
Do you, unsolvable. Do you find yourself like on a, from a political realm being any like more closely aligned in one end of the spectrum or a party or anything mm-hmm. like that? Are you pretty independent? How do independent. You, how would you, I mean, yeah. to me, it's just like a game. Yeah. I view it as a game. I think we're all common. And so I realized there have to be two parties, three parties to kind of divide us. And so I think naturally we all kind of, I think naturally we all think alike, but we're programmed to be separated. Mm. So I, I if I were to vote, I mean. Well, how is it in Canada? Canada's got more parties though, right? We have more parties. But if I'm voting, I am liberal in my social views, Uh but by Republican in my fiscal view. In your fiscal views. So you're more like uh, But I think that happens when you get older though too. That that's true. Although the although as you get older too the the social conservatism at least data-wise the social side also gets more conservative Absolutely. not just the fiscal side. Yeah. Yeah. And so But we're, we're like I mean yeah. those that's that definition of what conservative is. Yeah, that's true. And so they put you in a box almost like oh, yeah. in, in certain I mean and it has negative and positive connotations so again those are parameters i mean to be conservative it means a certain thing and to be liberal it means a certain thing which it shouldn't be i mean i think that's where we align i mean they they've they define these boundaries right yeah for more separation you've been in hollywood for a while though like what's the plus like, six yeah plus yeah six years. so so if you if you're in you know walking around that set you produce some big shows and we talked about that the last time right the the go-go's documentary on showtime and og and it's a hard truth ain't it on hbo but like when you're in those circles when you're running with all those cats and these kind of issues come up you feel you can just say what you feel or you think you got to be more guarded like what's your how do you approach that i think it, it depends on the energy in the room mm. i i believe people want to talk about it but they're scared to talk about it okay because right? you know where you fall on like the you spectrum. don't want to fall out of and you don't mm. want to fall um but no, I generally don't talk about it. I just you find a common interest or a common trait, and then you build from there and realize, okay, you, we have different views, but we still can get along, right? Yeah. We can agree to disagree. Yeah. I think that's what's missing. Yeah. I think there's a fear of saying, "Hey, I'm spiritual on one end," or "Hey, I'm s- s- religious on the other end," and this is what I follow. And I still find I'm still so surprised by how rare it is to have the conversations around like, you know, different points of view and perspective. You know, the, like one of the constant commentary we get on this show is like, like, I can't believe you guys talk that way about all this stuff. Like, I've never heard that kind of conversation. Just yesterday, I was talking to a friend who was visiting from out of town and she's, you know, way progressive, way left. But her thought was that and she's an educator. Right. So she runs this school. It's kind of like one of these like, big prep schools in the Midwest. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, very Exactly. It's like super affluent, you know, kind of deal. And it's like a special school. And it's got like a 200 year history and one of these deals out in St. Louis. And um, she was talking about kind of organizing a forum to look at different subjects. Now, she's a lefty, right? So she's very progressive. But and about 84%, according to her, of the faculty in her school is very left of center, right? Very progressive left of center. But she said that when she introduced this idea of let's have a forum so we can discuss kind of controversial things, like nobody wanted to go for it. Like they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to like It's the fear. Right. So it's the fear of being judged. It's the fear and I wouldn't say we're in the scarlet letter era, but it's mm. the fear of being, oh my God, if I say this, I'm gonna get positioned here. Yeah. And I think that's where we're at. And so because it's, it's just, so easy yeah. to share that position and somebody finds out something you posted on Facebook and it's like suddenly that's just your your scarlet letter. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunate. So mm. and that's where we're at. Mm. And hopefully we can get out of it. How do we get out of it? 
I mean, it's good business to put the fear in. <laughs> Let's be think. honest, right? Yeah. It's good business if you divide your customers or you can place your customers here. If we just look at it from pure data, right? So we're in an age of AI. I mean, now we can, like, we're literally being programmed and we've been researched where this particular sub, uh, subgroup can be positioned here and so forth. So as a, I'm just purely business. Take the social out of it and the humanity out of it. That's good business, mm. right? It, the segmentation. Absolutely. My overhead decreases tenfolds. I only have to, I know if I can hit this particular group, it's going to move this particular group and so forth and so forth, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, that's yeah. That's just a purely an AI kind of thinking. It is. Right? But and the downside of that is if you cut people into these little groups and like- take the humanity out of it. And that's what we're going through. Like we're- we're literally transitioning from an industrial society to an AI society. That's true. Right? And yeah. so when we do that, the, the humanity factor comes out of that. Mm. Right? And so we're going through, you know, it's like joining a company for the first year. You're going to go through the learning curves, and that's what we're hitting. We're hurting, hurting the learning curves. And that's right? really true, too. I had this, um, I had, I have, you know, in my other show, which is called Living the Call, I had a guest on who, uh, his name is Rory Groves, and he wrote this book called Durable Trades. And this this dude basically analyzed like, I don't know, 5,000 years of human history and like looked at the Egyptian, right? So you're Egyptian, yeah. the Egyptian civilization, the Asian civilizations, the European civilizations, Latin American, whatever, and kind of to try to understand what are the trades, the jobs, the different things that don't really, that are, that are fundamental, that don't necessarily evolve. And the way that he pegged it was like these different layers. I think there was four. There was primary, secondary, tertiary, and quaternary levels of civilization development. And so like at the very bottom was like farming and, you know, woodworking and things that we still have and that we still need that had big roles in the past that don't as much now. And then you get into like the, the, the secondary one, which is when we started to figure out to sell stuff, making a business out of selling sales and services. Mm -hmm. And then the third one, and I might have this wrong. The third one was, um, uh, or no, the second one was sales. The third one was services. And then the fourth one was what you just said, which is like technology, AI, whatever. But the thing that he was saying was that if you look at it, like, you know, we live right now increasingly in a world where if something was to just go bananas, like, you know, this whole Russia, Ukraine, something big were to happen, the people who were there to do the fundamental stuff, the food, the housing, like there's just none of them, right? So it's like you've got all of this activity going on at this other level. But it, it, it if we're if we're like if we get to a DEFCON five situation, we're kind of screwed. Was the kind of thought he had, right? Just looking at civilizations in the past. But it is most people we we meet have these super specialized roles, and they're working in these super specialized ways. Um, and they are segmenting and they are putting those things in boxes because that's how those levels of business work. And we're living that way too. So there's segmenting us in these, you know, little tribes, mm. right? You know, COVID hit, so we can't move, right? Increase the gas, we're not traveling as much. That's right? true too. So it's like we're segmenting these little kind of pods, yeah. right? And again, it's, it's just the transition of this whole new AI kind of world. That we're going to live into, and then again, if you segment and the pods, and then I don't see you as much. It's the you know we you have less in common that's than right. we have, and the more I see, the more in common I know we have, yeah. right? Yeah. The the more segmentation we have, the less in common we have, and then we give off this the kind of negative vibe frequency in the air. So we're not, I'm not going to share. That's right, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of it's just the way. They're, I don't know who's they, but I mean, it's just the way we're moving into our society. And it's kind of self-fulfilling in a way, too, because, you know, like, think about it from a, 
you know, media standpoint, right, social platforms in particular, they kind of reinforce this idea of programming to yourself, right? So like you got your network, they're creating your kind of content that you agree with. And when something breaks through into that, it just seems so foreign, where like 100 years ago, dude, you're going to walk down the street, you're going to run into 12 different points of view. A thousand percent. I mean, I've had this discussion. I mean, how it, it applies to me is, you know, in Hollywood, in terms of, of, of a producer, if you don't have a housekeeping deal or a first look deal with these tech, I call them tech companies, um, whether it's Netflix, Amazon, so forth, right? You're just, you're just servicing that AI, that machine, right? And, you know, your, your bills are covered. You're going to live as, you know, if you do well, a, yeah. a decent and a great life, actually. Um, but if you don't, you're outside looking in the AI, yeah, right? So you're in this kind of dusty field area. Now it's like, oh, now how do I create value? And some can look at that as like, oh my God. And then the, on the flip side is like, again, oh my God, this is a great opportunity, right? It all depends how you see it. And I think that's where, as an entrepreneur, that's the upside. Mm. It's like, okay, I'm not, I don't have a, a deal within a big platform AI streaming to make content, to service right? that platform. That platform. Can I create my own? Can I go outside the machine, right, and create the subset? Where is, because every code can be rewritten. Mm. It's just look at human nature. Yeah, and like it's just it's we're just coding, right? And I've always you know, and you see, and I saw bad example. I'll just say Ava DuVernay. She has a first look deal with Netflix. Argument sakes. Um, the content she's making is actually coding that data. So at some point we're gonna become a commodity. It, like it, you just see it, yeah. right? The the more and you're you, talking about content becoming a commodity, the story becoming a commodity, or the who, storytellers, the storytellers. So the oh, more you it, service, okay. so yeah. they're actually. Like, I mean, that's how I see. It. I may be wrong, but how I see it, she to me is a computer programmer. She is literally oh, interesting. programming yeah. Yeah. the mainframe that Netflix is using to to pick up inflection points. Mm. At some point, the the more she or everyone else's program, it's going to realize, okay, this particular subset, subset likes this particular scene. Likes, this. I mean, you can go granular and you then can go super then, granular. Then yeah. it's like, <clears throat> I can just put, I mean, I can work for Netflix, just type in a code, this is what I want. And then I, then we come commodities. It's like, just execute on this particular, here's a story, here's the outline of the script, just fill in the gaps. Go produce. And that's the thing is, I mean, they can and measure. And Spotify's already doing, like, Spotify has the program. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you could literally write the program now. Yeah. Like, I'm not So sure. you think that's next maybe, that the oh, AI sorry. is going to do the story? Like, is going to tell the, because you can basically, they have data on everything, right? So you can look, and I don't know if this is already happening, maybe it is, but where I'm sure that inside of Netflix or any of these platforms, they could say, hey, every time that we have this big, expansive cinematic shot, our engagement drops. Every time that we have like a sort of shot reverse shot scene with two talking heads, our engagement goes, like they can break that down. So then next, the, the next thing you know, it's like I'm now programming to those things because I know they get a, a bigger hit. Absolutely. And why do you think these catalogs are being bought by 10 times? I mean, a lot of them, the music catalogs are being sold 10 times. Well, and they're more, being bought by VCs, right? I mean, VCs. Most, yeah. again, for yeah. estate planning and so forth. Or I, like hedge funds. Hedge fund. Yep. So, however... Those songs are man-made. There's a, it gives off a certain human frequency, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So now these hedge funds are buying these catalogs. Yep. They can just stick them into AI, right? And then they can set the AI, what Spotify streaming, so and segment, and boom, boom, and changes your mood when you hear a Bruce Springsteen song, changes your mood when you hear Bob Marley. Like, it, like you can see where it's heading, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's so... 
to me, if I'm outside, I can just write the algorithm to kind of benefit that, right? And it's already been done. Like Spotify, I think they released it was an article two weeks ago, three weeks. They have a patent now in Spotify where they can, they can for the better part, uh, who to sign as a new signer. So if they control the actual streaming platform and then they can tell you this is the artist we're looking for, this is who we should sign. It's yeah. like, like, what do you like? Where is the human there element isn't. in that? Yeah, right? it's super mechanical. It's super mechanical, and it's got to at some point impact the story. But then it's almost like you don't realize it, though, because as a consumer, like you're just watching the stuff that's up there, but you don't know necessarily what's behind the scenes. You know what I mean? A but, but from a creator standpoint, storyteller standpoint, that's like a. Well, that's, and that's why the machine can't, because that's what makes us human. Right. The machine can't feel. Right. Right. So you can, a machine can look at the word love on a script, but a human can literally write that emotion in the script. Yeah. Right? So that, that's why I don't think the machine's going to be able to get to that point. It won't. But the human, we're going to be needed just to fill in the gaps, to just give you the texture, right? And I said, that's, that's scary. But the temptation's got to be so strong, dude. If you're running one of these platforms and it's like some guy's coming in with an Excel spreadsheet and saying, hey, every time we do this, this happens, so go do this. It's like... I mean, it's got to be a strong temptation, though, to just want to do this either the same thing or not do certain things because of it. It's just so much money behind it. Well, the further you are away from the code, where, like you know how it's the AI, the less and less valuable you are, mm. right? Mm. And in this, t- well, you've been in this town. We're risk adverse. Like everyone, you know, I'm just talking about the, in the content world. Everyone has the one foot out the door. So there's very few people that have two feet in the ground building, mm. right? You can count on both hands who those people are. Yeah. But it, usually in this town, it's very transactional, yeah. right? And yeah. just transactional. Trans- so it's a it's a weird where, you know, if you go to San Fran or in New York, it's yeah. just a different kind of sub. Even Austin's, well, it's different as well. But, yeah, I mean, I always find that my thing is the further you are away from the code, of that mainframe technology, then less and less valuable you are. But you know, you're less valuable m- to the organization. To the organization, yeah, economically, percent. right? But you might be more viable artistically. Correct. I mean, who knows? What advice do you give, like a young maker, young creator, young filmmaker, like somebody who wants to get a project off the ground? When you talk to somebody like that, like, what do you say to them? Like, you know, I just put your blinders on, disregard all that, because eventually, it's it. You're gonna write your own code. It's mm. like you're just gonna create, and then and then the machine is like, oh, we didn't see that. We, there's a blind spot in in the machine. In the machine, yeah, right. And, and there is. There always is. Mm. A thousand percent. It's yeah. never perfect. No one can write a perfect code. Yeah. Well, and the machine also only measures what it ha- what it sees. In other words, like it it could be a genre or story type or something else hadn't been done before. A thousand percent. And it's like there's not enough data points on it. Yeah, it's really crazy. Did you see what Netflix did last week with the their change in the like you could basically use somebody else's account like for oh, the password, the password thing. Yeah, yeah. do you know? Yeah, do you get charged? You get charged that for that, no? Well, I mean, it, if you're doing it by the book, you're supposed to like pay for every account, and each account has like three signs on yeah. sign ons order. But they they purposely didn't enforce that, and what they're saying now is they didn't enforce that as a way to just get 
get the get the users. the machine moving. The users get engagement, get all the data to your point, right? So like now I've got a big pool of people that I'm looking at. But now because their growth has slowed or something, they're trying to like you know, basically hedge back on that and say, No, 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 now you're gonna pay us no matter where you're from. Because they've almost reached critical mass. Exactly. And now that like their strategy's changing, but there's a lot of pushback on it. What's the model there? Like, how do you they make they don't? How do they make money? Are they gonna sell that whole thing? I mean, it, it's funny though. And I even think the ad agency, like we're both yeah. from that. Like, what's the new ad agency model? Is it they're just selling data, right, and programmatic? Yeah, that's where they make their margins. Yeah, and it's less about the creative. It's just more of the data. And you see the you see the spend. Right, we bought you know Facebook, Google. I mean, it's the data, data, data. It's really right? weird too because the well, I, in terms of where Netflix goes, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that for the last several years, it was let's just spend gobs and gobs of money on content so that we can have something fresh every week. There's a premiere every week, that kind of vibe, and let's just throw more stuff at it. But they've come to a place where there's so much friggin' content, dude. There's just so much out there. And I'm talking about all kinds. They're like long form, short form. You got docs, you got features, yeah. you got all kinds of stuff. And even with all the curation that the machine does, right? The machine's like in a feel, like Wally likes this. So <laughs> Wally gets this. Even in those super targeted places, there's so much behind it that a consumer just can't possibly keep up with it. So in a world where there's so much content, too much. I remember I saw the stat. I'm not going to remember the percentages, but that the original content game in the last like five or six years has like tripled or some crazy thing where like there's just too much for people to actually consume. So if that's true and that's no longer my strategy, like it's not enough for me to go, there's something new because people are like, dude, I can't even watch. I'm like, I can't even watch the, the things I want, let alone new things. Then you have to think of what's the new model. And maybe, look, they've taken all their rates up too. That's the other thing. I mean, I kind of see this looking, we destroyed cable for all the OTT stuff, but I think we're just recreating cable. And I think five years from now, people are going to be looking at $100 a month Netflix subscription and going, what the hell? Now I got Netflix at 100 bucks. I got Spotify at 80. I got whatever. And it's going to be the same thing with that it was with cable. People are looking at it when, you know, remember when cable was, was you know, kind of a big thing and people started cord cutting? It was because they were looking at their bill yep. and going, dude, three, four, five hundred dollars a month, and I'm watching four channels. Like, what the hell? And so the OTTs were like, load, yeah, cancel that, just buy us. But now it's kind of the same thing. So I, I don't know. I mean, I see maybe like a new form of disruption coming, but the model of just throw more content at it constantly, I don't think is the future for 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 those platforms. I mean, that's just what I. That's see. That's a good point. I never. Th- I mean, it would be interesting to find out if someone can do it. PhD paper in the 80s when we had less content with the major networks, three networks. So how did that affect the innovation and imagination of a younger generation? Now that we have more content, how is that affecting this this kid's generation in terms of of innovation and imagination, right? So when we had the big three networks, right, it was more about sports, outdoors, and so we're more creating the, you know, the stories in our head. The more, I mean, I guess I'm just guessing, right? But now we have so much content, right? They're all, everyone's always on their phone, right? So do you use, do you use your imagination more? Like, that's I a, mean, gra- I, that's I, a I'm super, curious. super great question. I mean, look, if I think about it, if I'm a young person who's making content today, 
I'm looking at all these options and going like, man, it's it's a it's like there's gold in those hills. Anybody can get in. Anybody can do anything. Look at all this content. I can't even keep up. So in a way, it would maybe inspire me to create more. But I would think that the quality of what I'm creating is probably less because there's so many at bats. You know what I mean? It's like I don't obsess over a script for. 10 years like it used to be back in the day and like have that chance meeting with that one dude who can make it ha- like all that stuff seems to have gone more away i mean that's at least how i see it i don't know anything Good as point. much as you do but. um well i was watching this documentary music documentary on gordon lightfoot on amazon now what point do you turn like when he wrote a song he just went in the room closed the door and just wrote right this was in the 70s he might have had a phone tv less distractions now, and he used his imagination to write the song, just purely in his head, pen to paper, wrote. Can you do that now? I don't think so. With, I'm just talking about the, the kids, I mean, millennials, I mean, not, Gen Z. Gen Z. Yeah. Can they, where, I mean, I would love to kind of figure out your imagination muscle, for mm. lack of a better word. Has it, has it decreased over the decades, with the increase of technology, or has it increased? Like, it's it's curious. Dude, that's a huge question, bro. I, I think, and it's a really good one, and I don't want to be like a downer, but I just have to imagine that the greater artistic quality is lesser now, and it may be in part because of all the distraction and all this other stuff. It's also because we're being fed so much more that it's less it's less necessary for us to dream and imagine of what could be. If you're putting on a pair of Oculus glasses and you're walking in outer space and doing all this other kind of crap, well then dreaming about some experience that could be is less urgent because I get to experience it like all so day. So you're being programmed. I think you're, are you like I mean it's all about what's oh, I'm looking for the word um Free will. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do we have more free will or do we have less free I mean that's we uh, have we all have free will. Yeah, of course. To a certain I, yeah. extent. Yeah. Right? But I feel like Well, I, put it to you this way. There's there's significantly more optionality today. Right? So if I walk out I wake up in the morning, the list and potential of things I can do, especially in entertainment, is massively larger than it was before. I can, you know, Dude, just think of TikTok. You know, that thing's a time machine. I can be on there for 20 minutes and it's really eight hours. Like, so in that world, yeah. I mean, I'm, I could have been using that time to create something, to imagine something. But what does that do to I think your brain, I how think it process and the synapse where when you grew up, you did not have, I mean, your brain, because again, it's just the way your, your brain is wired. Right? I think. And it wires yeah. and so forth. Like, what does that do to the structure of? I think it messes it up. I think that there's good evidence that silence, reflection, meditation, prayer, things like that are central to the idea of the creative process. And I think in a world where we have less of it, I don't think that that is a good thing. I mean, I don't think it leads you to more of imagination, creativity, that kind of thing. I think it necessarily has to be less. Now, is it possible to have still great things? Sure. But you also have significantly more players because, again, the whole thing's been democratized. Anybody can make a movie. Anybody can make a podcast. Anybody can do whatever. So there's just more people. I don't know that that necessarily means there's going to be the same level of quality. Look at it from an artistic standpoint, dude. Like you go in and you've traveled and you've been everywhere, right? You've been Africa, Europe, et cetera. So you go into these places like, you know, whatever, great buildings, architecture, cathedrals, whatever it may be. And you look at that and you're like, it, it's like, it's like Mars. I mean, who would build something like that today? Who would have the time to like create that, that level of artistry, right? It's like, 
there there just isn't that. Our days are spliced infinitely into like a thousand different distractions. And and just look at it from a music standpoint. Once every decade, you get an Adele. Yeah. Because you can generational hear, you, talent. You can hear the voice and the frequency, and it just tests, totally. and it does not sound like it's automated. It's a signature. It's a machine. Like it's like yeah. you see. That goes back to the point why they're buying these catalogs, right? If you can buy the catalogs, buy this. And, I mean, those songs, those catalogs were iconic songs, right? Very human-based songs that touched and meant and something. That, so if you can, you you buy those, you can kind of direct. It's going to be interesting. And we are machines, like the way we're being wired. I was, right? think, I was thinking, you just reminded me of something. I'm going to see if I can actually pull it up real quick. But have you, have you heard uh, Sting's new album? No. Dude's 70 years old, right? 70 years old. And he came out with an album like two months ago. And he's got a video and the whole nine yards. It looks great. Plays great. And I listened to the title track from this album, which is what I, what I was actually trying to pull up. Maybe I'll do it in the background real quick. But um, I, I, I listened to this title track. And that dude, I've always been a Sting fan. But when I listened to this song, um, I was like, that's a signature. That's something that it can only be him. Like, I don't care if it's 2022 or 1988, but, like, it is him. Like, I consider him in that sort of generational talent kind of thing. And then you ask yourself, and maybe, like, I don't want to just sound like I'm the old guy in the room, but, like, do we have that kind of generational sort of... Yeah, again, Gen Z, it's different, Mm. right? Their generational sting would be X, Y, Z, right? Right. Don't know who that is, but I mean, it's because they process that frequency, that music different than we do. So you can't apply the same computer code that you kind of grew up on to the gen, to Gen Z, right? As far as they're concerned, that single that hit to them, that's like that's what you know gets their brains tingled. Yeah, right. This is a track I was talking about. Just listen to thirty seconds of this. Oh yeah, that's just you can. It's police. The little bass line. Yeah. And let's check out when the when the lyrics come in. How many times have I had this dream? But like, who else could that be? You see what I'm saying? It's like, and it was so clear. And I, I I hadn't come across like an example of that in a long time where something new was like instantly hearkening me back to something that's like, oh yeah, this is that dude. This is that guy. This is that music. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just, it was, it, it kind of highlighted for me what you were talking about. Do you find yourself listening to more music or, or more new music or less? No, a lot less. And that, that, that's another great point. I don't know if you've seen some of those stats. It's like 80% of the music listening is like old stuff. That, uh, that's but even point. by young people. Yeah. Why do you think that is? That's a great question, brother. I have no idea. I mean, and why do you think they? And do you think that ties into the catalog acquisition? I'm sure it does. I'm right. sure it does because there may be some things behind the scenes. This is not a good, maybe not a good example. And then back then, yeah. again, less content consumption, more use of imagination, right? Yeah. So that we had more human element in the art. Now we had just more artificial element into the art creation so it's interesting yeah it could be i mean so your point could be that people long for a sense of authenticity and that kind of thing that's one argument the other one could be more kind of nefarious that if all if the hedge funds own all these catalogs and they know how to program that machine 
that they're they're doing a lot of marketing behind the scenes and a lot of things that you don't even realize, which is why these things are bubbling up, like in the consciousness. Dude, I think about this every time I see a young person wearing a Def Leppard or Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd. Every shirt out there, like you even walk into the mall, it's like there's like a rack of Pink Floyd shirts. And you stop these kids and ask them, like, can you name an, a Pink Floyd album? I'm like, what? It's like, no, it's just like a cool thing. You know, and so I don't know, but it's definitely a huge portion of the music listenership is classic stuff. It's not new stuff. And it's like overwhelmingly not new stuff. And yet you think about like how big the new stuff market is. And then you're like, wow, that's just, it's unbelievable to me. And I mean, it goes back to that. I mean, it would be really interesting for someone to write that paper. Mm. The increase or decrease of imagination on art with the influx of technology. The, The Atlantic probably four years ago, had a paper on Google's impact to the brain. It was just Google. like, And the way that, and I, I forget exactly all the pieces of it, but the way that they put it was like, our natural desire to search for things, like think of it library-wise, you're looking for something, but along the way you trip over other things. And maybe you've had this dynamic. You can do it in music too. You Back in the day, we'd walk into a store Good. And you're look exactly. You might be looking for that reggae or for whatever that may be, but then you trip over this other thing. And you're like, "What the hell is this?" And you discover this thing. And the endorphin rush, you get it. And the endorphin rush, you get. But like in the Google world, it's like it's super intentional, man. It's like I know what I'm looking for. And yeah, you've got these like you may like or recommend it or whatever, but it's not the same. And so they looked at that and the impact of the brain, and there was like changes to the wiring. Because in a world where like everything is like, I'm looking for A and A comes to me as opposed to I'm looking for A and I trip over C, D, and E. Mm-hmm. And it's like those things are interesting and they help make me who I am. If that's gone away, there is a change in the brain. And same with Facebook, mm. right? The more friends you have, the more the Facebook and Instagram, it's the need to be validated, Right. The more friends you have, the more, and then the the endorphin rush. The endorphin you get, rush. Yeah. You take that away, and it's the lack of right. So you're in the lack of mindset, right? And yeah. it's like, let it's, me let me hit you with another one, which is along the same lines. So um, I had I had an opportunity to meet with the president of Goodwill recently. Okay. You know, Goodwill is like you know, so it's, it's a charity, it's a nonprofit, but they also they're a retail outlet. They sell basically used clothing, yeah. right? It's a storefront. And um, one of the key insights was this hunt for the gem. Like that was the driver, right? So a lot of, especially the young people, Gen Z, millennial, they want this sustainable fashion, circular fashion. They want to wear something that goes into the earth rather than, you know, buying the latest collection at whatever the department store, like that model's dead, right? But this idea of the hunt, like I'm on, I'm going to find that gem and that I'm going to find that gem by going through 7,000 things that I don't want. Right. But it's so unusual. First of all, it's unusual how strong it is as a driver for these people to want to do it. But it's also totally different than the way the rest of their experience is, because the rest of their experience is I want X and I get X like instantly, like I can find it, I can do it. But the goodwill experience was like, no, I'm hunting, I'm looking. But I'm you're searching. less satisfied. Yeah, that I mean that's what goes back to our. No, point. but it's more satisfying when you find it. When you find it, it's rush, more satisfying. When, when you get it instantly, it's less it's satisfying. Less satisfying. Long term, long term, it's satisfying instantaneously. Short term, but they're realizing long term the process is more satisfying. That's right, and that's what like yeah, that's interesting actually. Yeah, it's really crazy because. I mean, what so yeah. Did we have? Did you have the hunt in the X generation? Was there? I don't. There think was a hunt in music for sure. For me, there was a hunt in music. Like I would go into, but not the, to this extent. Not to this extent. No, I mean, well, well, not to the extent of the goodwill thing. 
Correct. Yeah, no, not to the same extent because in Goodwill it's one out of a million. In a, in a music environment, it might be one out of a hundred. But um, I remember in music. I mean, there was a period of time in the you know that's the mid to late nineties where me and my buddy would go and like. I mean, we would spend. I, we would. I'd be leaning down, looking at the racks with my head tilted, looking at the CDs, and going, "I'm going to find that gem." So long that when I stood up, I almost passed out. Like I like, and you were just scouring, looking, and there was nothing like finding that one thing. And you're like, "This is amazing." Every, was it every Tuesday that new CDs came out? Was it already Thursday? Yeah, yeah, Thursday. I think it was. Thursday, right? Yeah, I remember that. Like back in, it's like, oh, the new stuff is out, yeah, and like go check it rush. out. Yeah. And then you had the like the headphones. You could go and you could sample. Like that was a whole new thing. Yeah. But yeah, that I mean, look, that has to have. Have a play a role in the way that your brain works and the chemistry and the connections and the neurons and like all that stuff. And I think that it's a, it's to the detriment of art. I think it's to the detriment of creativity and imagination. I still think somebody should do the white paper, but I think that that's what we might find. We might find a greater volume of things, but we might find a lower artistic kind of. Well, how do you find artistic? Is it human connection? Yeah. Like it gives I, you a certain vibe. Frequency. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's weird. Like I've thought about this a lot. I don't have a really good definition for art, but I have one for poetry, which is a sort of an extension of art, right? When I think of something like poetry, I think of saying with less words what many words cannot, right? It's sort of like, mm-hmm. and that's maybe approaches a definition of poetry. With art, it's similar. But for me, true art is some elements of transcendence. Like it's, it's yeah, it's me. I'm observing. I'm part of the experience. So it's something about me. I'm a percentage of it. But then the thing itself, yes, it causes an emotion, etc. But it also takes me somewhere else that's more than me. Because if it's just about making an impression, like anything can be art, right? It's like some guy taking a dump somewhere. It's like, well, that makes an impression. I think it's gross. But that's not to me like art, right? So I would define art as experiential, but also transcendent. And I don't know the full definition, yeah, but I'm yeah. saying that's somewhere. And do you think that art came from a higher being and so forth into that individual? I think that there is an instance. Because I, you know, I was watching, yeah, yeah. back to the documentary I was watching on Gordon Lightfoot, he basically said, I was just literally just writing and it just came to me. And I just kind of, I was just trying to catch up. Mm. The more it came to me from wherever it came, I was just writing. Yeah. Right? So do you think that at some point... It, it comes from a greater source? Yeah, I do. I, I think, and I don't know if it comes from as in like, you know, downloaded into you, but I do believe in inspiration. And I believe that, you know, inspiration, you know, draws people to something greater and something good. And I think we're all searching for that, right? You define yourself as maybe spiritual, not religious. That's part of that, which is like, you know, that there's this other reality, right? Maybe you're not sure what it is, but in a way you long for it right? You're like trying to discover it. You're trying to like figure it out. And in that figuring out process, that's where a lot of cool stuff gets done, right? Music, art, poetry, architecture, whatever it may be, because you're like aspiring to something. You're reaching for something, right? That's so, so I do think that that's an, like an integral part of the creative process. Um, and you can see it. And maybe the thing that you're longing for initially is like social justice or, Whatever, you know, but at some point, and for me personally, it is something transcendent. It's something more than me or that more than I can see that is involved in that kind of creative process. I mean, yeah. that's the way I break I mean, it down. And that's why they say that yeah. most people, three people have usually the same idea, mm. right? You know, someone might have an idea to launch Facebook and then two other people have the same idea, identical, have never met from three different regions yeah, and that's to launch true. Facebook, right? Because then it goes back to, the, it, it's got to come 
It's got to come from somewhere. For sure. How three different, three different people from in three different contents, continents had the same idea to launch Facebook, right? Yeah, how does then, that happen? Then how does that happen? And then it becomes just first to market and so forth. But yeah, yeah I, I truly believe like at some point someone or you connect to a certain frequency. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the only explanation. For sure. And it's funny because frequencies, like when I talk to, you know, artists or makers, creators, yeah. you know, I was talking, um, uh, most recently the person who brought this term up quite a bit was Richard Cabral. And Cabral's on Mayans and he's done a bunch of different mm-hmm. things, but... That dude was just nonstop. He's like, man, it's the frequency. He's like, there's higher frequencies, there's middle of the road frequencies, there's low frequencies, low, dense frequency. And it's like, I'm I'm all about like, let's connect to that higher frequency, whatever that is. And look, for some people, that higher frequency would be God, would be a faith experience, would be something like that. For other people, it could be something else. But it's definitely not people aspire to whatever that is, that higher thing. It's not people going like, let me find some low frequencies. Nobody says that. And you and you can walk into a room and you can someone has charisma and so and then because you can feel you can their feel frequency, it. yeah, right. Whether they're spiritual, religious, or to the left, it doesn't matter. But they're on a frequency, yeah, right. So yeah. like, oh, they're very charismatic. Yeah, but what is that? What is that? Right, because you can tell they're vibrating. He or she are vibrating so high, mm-hmm. and then you can tell. I mean, L.A. Let's be honest. We live in a do- low dense frequencies city yeah. right yeah. there are pockets where there's high frequency and you can walk into a room you're like mm, you can you know if you're in tune you can kind of feel it if you were going to kind of peg the things that create lower frequencies what would it be or like the attitudes or like the it's usually diet mm-hmm. you know those three what's the th- three ymca pillars spiritual exercise mind body soul yeah yeah so you got to have those things along i think I, yeah yeah I think that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, from a, you know, from a Christian standpoint, which is what I am, you definitely have that reality of like mind, body, spirit, spirit. and all of them require some element they're of work. They're all interconnected. And they're all, all interconnected. A thousand percent. That's what makes us persons, right? Mm-hmm. We're not just a body or like a body with a mind, with a soul. That That's kind of the idea. But we, oftentimes we think about maybe we're just going to exercise one of those, right? So I'm going to be a badass meditator or whatever, but I'm not worried about keeping my body fit or the opposite, which tends to be true as well. Like I'm going to be just like a, you know, a gym rat, but I'm never going to think about anything outside of myself, right? But it's about kind of getting those three things aligned. I think that goes back to your definition of art. So if if it checks off all three boxes, that's how you know you Mm. love that piece of art, Mm. mind, body, spirit. Love it. Let's get, let's get that white paper written. All right, then. (laughs) That's what we need to do. Well, I can already tell while you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Jesus, stay, stay uh, traveling. <laughs> he, he will hear this yeah. too. Um, let, let's actually stay on that tip. You want to play a Courage or Cringe? Absolutely. Let's do it. Um, we're going to stay on that tip of art with our first, uh, our first story here, which is a really unusual one. Actually, I think this is one you recommended uh, with uh, Dolly Parton. And for those who don't know, uh, Dolly Parton rejected her Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination, and then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame rejected her rejection, right? And we don't have to get into the sort of odds and ends. I'd rather hear your, your thoughts on this. But the general story is that she got nominated. She's been obviously an artist for a long time, mostly associated with country music, mm-hmm. right? 
And Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like they fill out their ballots and she got, I think it was like 1,200 votes or something like that. And they contacted her. They were like, hey, you know what? You've been nominated for this. And she sent out on social media. She was like, I'm honored. I'm flattered. But I pass because I'm this is I'm this as an artist. This isn't me. I'm not rock and roll. And then she went on to say that I do hope at some point to put out a great rock and roll album in the future. So this inspires me to that end. But politely, I refuse the the nomination, which is an interesting move for a celebrity to not want to be. Uh, awarded something, right? So really it's courage or cringe on Dolly Parton's rejection of that, of that rock and roll hall of fame award. What's your, what's your point? Courage. Yeah. I think it's courage. I think for Dolly, she had mentioned her greatest achievement. One of her greatest achievement was to get into um, the Grand Ole Opry, right? So that was her pinnacle. That was her house that she, you know, she aspired to. And then when she finally got in, it was one of her greatest achievements. So back then, I mean, it was segmented, you know, country, rock, blues, rap, and so forth. So it was different quadrants. Now it's more blended, Mm. right? So you have more and more different artists that are not considered traditional rock by that definition, you know, in the 70s and 80s and so forth. Um, So I think it's courage to say, look, I know my craft. Mm. This is what I do best, and I'm okay with this, and I'm okay with that. Right? So, what, and I think that says a lot about Dolly. I think it does too. What do you think is the move for the Academy or the Hall of Fame? Why are they broadening these dis, these uh, genres? Because and, and just to quote what they actually said, they said um, – this is a quote from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They um, – where is it? Uh, basically, they said that – I'll find it in here in a second. But they said – oh, here it is. It's uh, rock and roll is not defined by any one genre. Rather, a sound that moves youth culture. That's what they said. Yeah, I disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, every generation has a different sound that moves youth culture, right? I think we're in the rap era. That's the youth generation. And at some point back then, we were in the rock generation. And prior to the rock generation, there was, I don't know what the, how long? Yeah, you had blues. Blues, and, so yep. forth. So it, this is, to me... <laughs> Get troubles. It's like a land grab for them to say that, <laughs> yeah. Because they want to be the Hall of Fame. Mm. I'd rather them that called the music. If they was just called the Music Hall of Fame, yeah. she should be in it, yeah. right? But there is no Music Hall of Fame. There is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? So I think they're the word Rock and Roll. They, if they just flip and say Music Hall of Fame, absolutely. But yeah, they works, can't exactly. be everything to everyone, yeah. Right? And that's the problem we're having today, right? And I so I understand their positioning, right? They like want to be the Hall of Fame for music, right? But unfortunately, they started off as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, founded by Rolling Stone magazine, which is a rock and roll magazine and so forth. So I get the transition they're trying to make. If that's the transition, then change the name. Change the name. And if we change the name, then there's going to be another controversy, right? So I think, I think Dolly was right. Courageous, like, nope, this is you know, this is who I am. This is what I practice, and I'm okay with this. Mm. If I go into another genre. Now you have on the flip side, when there was a push when NWA um, got nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I think uh, Gene Simmons is like, "That's not rap is not rock and roll," mm-hmm. and he's right to a certain point. That's just a different genre of music, right? Now, if we take the word rock and roll out and put Music Hall of Fame, NWA should be in the Music Hall of Fame, right? But I think that's where we, you know, we're debating. 
the use of the name rock and roll. How do we define rock and roll? Yeah. Right? Dionne Warwick, also who was nominated at one point in her career uh, for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when she heard about this uh, Dolly Parton thing, she said what you're saying. She's like, they should rename the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to call it the Music Hall of Fame. But bring, uh, they're bringing so many other genres into it, so why not? Exactly. But it is a little bit of have your cake and eat it too. Um, yeah, look, I'm courage on it as well. I think it says a lot about Dolly. I think the reality of it is, is that like things have definitions or they don't. And, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with having a music hall of fame. That's great. Do that. But, um, this as it is acknowledges the fact that there is a a type of popular dance music that originated in the fifties that is characterized by a heavy beat and simple melodies. That's rock and roll, that it has this history of black rhythm and blues and white country music and all this other stuff, but it's its own thing, Right. And clearly here, we have to also trust the authority of the artist. The artist is saying, that's not me. So like, what are you going to do? Try to convince her that she is that particular thing? So, um, and I don't, this whole, it's not any one genre. It's a sound that moves youth culture. Well then, dude, I mean, where's your award for, there should be memes. There's memes that have soundtracks that move. move, I mean, I I play stuff. You know what I played the other day for my son? I played uh, a a great uh, Canadian band. Yes. Right. So prog rock, uh, Canadian uh, band. And they have a song called Roundabout, okay. uh, which is a very famous track. And and I played it for him. He's like, wait, what is this? And I was like, yeah, this is Roundabout. This is a great Yes song. He's like, no, 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 Dad. And he showed me the meme that had been going around forever, which had the opening from that track. He only recognized the music based on that meme, right? But again, if it's just something that moves youth culture, you got to open this up. You got video game music. You got like memes. You got all kinds of things. And I don't think that's really practical. And I do think that it kind of hurts the artist too. So let me ask you this. Is Rolling Stone magazine a music magazine or is it a rock and roll? Man, I have no Which owned the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah. Is Rolling Stone magazine a I, rock and roll I would magazine? Say, I would no. say it's not. Not. Yeah. So then if... If your magazine is not a rock and roll, just a rock and roll magazine, and you own the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, then just change the name. They should just call it the Rolling Stone uh, Hall of Fame, Fame or whatever it is. Yeah, you know what I mean? Attribute name. it to something. Absolutely. And they do have to change the name because then I also think there's a bit of marketing here because the, maybe there's waning interest in rock and roll in a traditional sense. I don't know. Maybe there's a stat there, but it just seems a little bit like a land grab to use your term. And, uh, and that's why I think it's, uh, it's courage yep. for Dolly. Absolutely. You're a country music fan too, right? Um, I think we talked yes. about it before. Yes. Yeah. Just got into Gordon Life. Beautiful. Now we're getting, <laughs> exactly, through the documentary. All right, we're getting off to a good start, Wally. So number two, totally different uh, subject and one that, uh, you know, certainly caused a lot of uproar. And the the headline is swimmer Leah Tom- Thomas becomes first transgender athlete to win an NCAA Division One title. Now, obviously there's been... Uh, trans athletes of in in recent history who have done you know uh, who have won competitions etc and there's been uproar about those in this case um, you know this uh, particular swimmer Leah Thomas has just dominated in her in her class she's won the 200 the 500 the 100 like every single division but this is the first time that she's been awarded this division one uh, title she's got detractors and she's got supporters. And oftentimes in the same places, right? There was, I think, 16 of the 40 uh, athletes that were on this, uh, you know, in this team or group uh, issued a letter to the university saying like, hey, this isn't cool. And then at the same time, there was 10 other athletes or 15 who said, yeah, this is awesome and I affirm it. So there's a lot of, you know, controversy around this. But the bottom line is, you know, getting this NCAA Division I title uh, in, uh, in, in this particular competition – 
is the courage or cringe? What say you, Wally? Cringe. Mm. Um, cringe. It's interesting. It's an interesting debate. Um, but my, I think my, my stance is, does he or she have a competitive advantage? Okay. Right? And I, my answer is yes, um, compared to the other individual so and just it's the science i mean it just comes to the science do they have a competitive advantage in compared to the other racers and it's yes and if it's yes then it's like cringe it's and for like, the record uh in in you know just to kind of play the other side of the yeah. of the argument um this particular athlete has gone through a year of hormone hormones. replacement therapy but now the ncaa is either implementing or about to implement a three-year Hormone, hormone replacement therapy but it's the to bring down. I mean, forget the hormones for a minute. Yeah, right. It's just the body structure. Your body, that your delts. As a swimmer, it's the delts and your back, right? Mm. And when your hips, where you draw the power in on your stroke. So that to me, just a physiological. The hormones, okay, correct. If it's a level playing field on the hormones, but from a physiological perspective. It's just the way your body is structured in for swimming, right? Naturally, their delts and their back, so they they have more power on their stroke, right? So that's a they, I mean, it's a competitive advantage, yeah. and it's a cringe. Yeah, I, I, I don't see how it's not a competitive advantage. Right. Like someone has to like I love to get a debate for the ones who voted. That's I'm okay with that. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus was here, he would say something, and this is not exactly it, but he would say something on the lines of, well, wait a minute, Wally, there's girls who are five foot four and ones who are six foot two, and they both are women and they both go in this race. And one's got, you know, a back that's six inches wider than the other one and those in biological females. So we have those disparities now. How come this, this applies in this case? That's a good point. Yeah. See, a- Jesus, are you proud of me? Well, I mean, naturally, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a trainer in swimming. However, I would think that the taller you are, the what your wingspan, the naturally you're going to have, you know, an advantage or have a stronger lap than the shorter you are. Yeah. Like the the more compact you are, generally speaking, you're at better sport in this particular sport. Swimming, you need to not you need to be. It's advantageous to be taller so your wingspan is larger right and the more power you can draw right but if you're swimming and if you're shorter and you got a lord and and you're swimming three times as fast i mean man you have more power in your strokes right but i'm still think it's a competitive advantage from a physiological perspective I think so too, and I think here. So I'm a I'm a cringe as well, but I think it's important to divide two things in this, Wally. Number one is that we need to separate this idea of respect, dignity, love for the people who have you know gender dysphoria Correct. or, or yep. they're they're going through a transition or whatever, and that those people should be treated with respect and they shouldn't be condemned and all that stuff. I think that's one thing. Yes, that we have to sort of get out there, but at the same time, even acknowledging that. We have to also acknowledge that this particular swimmer is not now and never will be a biological woman, right? We, we have to recognize that as well. And that's not even a term that I usually use, this idea of biological woman, but it's one that I'll just concede for the sake of this argument. Even after three years of hormone replacement therapy, 
she's going to have those same advantages, right? Longer arms, narrower hips, different musculature, even like the way that, you know, men approach strategic and competitive things that that's been studied. There's been, there's tons of data. There are differences there. And so those differences and that different genetic makeup and all the different things go, go into that can be, and in this particular sport are advantages, right? They are advantages to this, right? So then I started thinking about like, and I don't know if you gave this some thought, but like, are there potential approaches where you could solve for this? Like, could you have, and I'm just making it up, but could you have a trans women team, right? Or, you know, have biological women only teams. Now, part of the argument would be to say, well, isn't that exclusive and all of that? Yeah, I guess it is. But sports is by its nature exclusive, right? NCAA, NCAA is exclusively collegiate, you know, NFL is exclusively professional, uh, you know, there's exclusive male competitions in the Olympics, like, so there's already that sense of exclusion, because you put things into categories when you're talking about sports. But I was trying to think of like, well, what, how could you satisfy the different constituencies here? Because it's hard. It's hard. I mean, that's a tough solution. I don't, I don't think you can. Hmm. Then you have to agree to disagree on that one. I mean, again, you're going to exclude one sub, subgroup regardless. Yeah, I mean, Olympics are, you know, primarily men and women, right? That's how it started. That was the genetic code that we got when they launched the Olympics. Now mm -hmm. it's introducing a new subgroup in the Olympics or in, in professional racing or however you want to call it. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. That's just a whole other can of worms that they're going to have to solve. I mean, where do you place it? And then... Yeah. I don't know, but... but I mean, remember the arguments back in when the Russians were using steroids and they're, like, their women are... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, steroids had a certain... Sure. And, and then they stopped everyone from using steroids. Yeah. Well, supposedly. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think this is just a larger discussion. Yeah. No, I do. And I, I, I don't know of an easy fix to it, but I think that at the very least, we can acknowledge and distinguish... The differences between how we should behave, act, respect, Correct. love. Correct. I think we can at least separate that and then go, okay, now let's talk about this competition. Because this competition, the way that it is right now, ain't working. You know what I mean? Scientifically. So Scientifically. You're separate. Yeah. Because, because people get wound up in the same argument. It's like, well, I don't want you know a formerly female uh, or formerly male uh, weightlifter because that's also happened. There's been a bunch of these stories, right, where the guy you know the, the uh, guy transitions to um, you know identifies as a woman, begins to compete in these uh, weightlifting competitions, and they're you know clean and jerking 100 pounds more than their competitors, and you're like. Dude, like, what am I watching here? It's just a different thing. And it's not fair to the athletes, right? And it's not fair to the, you know, the spectators on some level. And then the other thing, which on a practical level is, I don't know that this woman, Leah, is ever going to be understood as anything other than the transgender woman athlete. In other words, nobody's going to go like, oh, yeah, here's... Like, she's always got that sort of appendage to her mm -hmm. description, right? And maybe the thought is eventually that goes away. I don't know. I don't think it does. But it's really tricky. It's a tricky one. But I think people and get very polarized. Back to your when we first had this talk, it's like everyone's scared to. Oh, for sure. But even right. that comment, even the comment that like, I don't think that this is fair. Like that comment just by itself in isolation as a tweet. Imagine what. Imagine what kind of. I mean, put that out there on your socials and see what happens in two seconds. Right. I mean, it's going to be ugly. So we have this fear that if we debate one way or the other, it. It's going to be back to the scarlet letter stigma. You're going to be stigmatized. I disagree. Oh, what? You, oh, I agree. You what? 
Like exactly. Well, just even even asking the question is the that's where the problem I think is. It's like I was talking again to this friend that I mentioned earlier last night, and I was like, "There's nothing wrong with your position or a policy prescription or whatever." I think that's been forever for all time. Yeah. People have had different opinions. It's the it's the the vilifying, the kind of demonizing, right? Where even asking the question or right. suggesting that there may be another perspective is automatically wrong. I don't forget about what your opinion is. The fact that you have one is something that puts you in a particular category. I think that's where we've come. That's really new, and I I don't think really good. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful, bat in a thousand, my friend. All right, so let's uh, let's close out on our friend Ye also known as Kanye West, uh, who was uh, just on, I think this was over the weekend, right? He was barred from performing at the Grammys due to concerning online behavior. This is what they they claim. So just at a very high level, uh, Kanye West has been barred from performing at the Grammy Awards due to, quote, concerning online behavior, which which was confirmed by a rep for the artist. And the Recording Academy, I didn't go on to explain too much, but there's some you know, thoughts around or theories around, hey, this is the fact that this has to do with him trolling Pete Davidson about the whole breakup and, you know, being very, uh, a person who says things that can't be anticipated, right? So he'll get up there and grab that mic and who knows what's going to come out. Mm -hmm. And so because they're concerned about what he might say, and also the fact that Trevor Noah is hosting it and him and Trevor Noah have had a little back and forth, right, online. Um, they say all of those are reasons that contributed to this, but nevertheless, uh, the Grammys has uninvited him from performing and they actually, his, uh, his album Donda was, is up for like an award, right? Or was, mm-hmm. uh, as part of an expansion of the categories that they actually just did to include more hip hop. So the irony is that here's this thing that's being recognized within the category, within the art, it wants to be, re- but the, but the artist behind it is not allowed to actually perform because he might do something that they're afraid uh, on this sort of performance. So ultimately, courage or cringe, Kanye or Ye barred from performing at the Grammys. Is it courage or cringe from the decision from the uh, the for him being barred? Grammy for him being barred. Yeah, that's yeah. I thought about this. That's that's a great question. Uh, I'm gonna go on the flip side. Go that, for it. The natural. I'm gonna go cringe. Okay. Um, look. Yeah, I mean, we've all seen the Kanye behavior, right? Whether you condone it, don't condone it, it's like, it's the behavior. But I think that goes back to, I mean, artists are, you know, They're artists. volatile people, <laughs> right? And, you know, they go to a certain, I mean, you have to, you have to kind of come out of reality to create, you know, something that's never done before. So we know, has Kanye gone too far? Yeah, he's gone too far. But at some point, that's what makes him a great artist, yeah. right? That's on one end. Now, socially speaking, we have certain set of rules that we have to go, be conducted by, and they're set. And Kanye's broken those rules, right? However, if we're just—it's it, the Grammys, so to me, it's cringe. Um, they can cut off the mic at any point, let him perform at some point, but I, I think I, they just don't want to give him the platform to perform or there's that risk i mean remember kanye's had a history with the grammys it goes back to the taylor swift incident and so forth so they again and then the grammys have always had you know they had the janet jacks no actually that wasn't the the super bowl but to me it's it's cringe and 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 if you look at the grammys the ratings have fallen off Uh, all these awards awards have fallen off They're, they're not i mean so it would be cringe if they had them on 
people are tuning in. Yeah. What's Kanye going to say? Yeah. Or do. Yeah. So. Would it change it for you if the setting was something that wasn't to recognize art, right? In other words, if it was like. Well, they're saying that he might get canceled at Coachella. There's a, there is mm. a petition right now getting signed for Kanye not to perform at Coachella. Mm. So that's yeah. cringe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But would it change it for you if the forum was not art at all? So, like, imagine that Kanye got invited to speak at, I don't know, a public policy forum, and then he got uninvited because he might say something crazy, but the setting wasn't, no, like, artist. It wouldn't change it for you. It yeah, it wouldn't change it for me either, but at least I could see some logic in the argument that it seems particularly bad if the forum is one recognizing art, and yet we're... We're taking away the opportunity for somebody to actually perform the art. Like, it seems doubly bad in that sort of scenario to me. It, I think we all have a love-hate relationship with Kanye West. The love part is he, however you want to judge him, there's a human element that we all gravitate to Kanye West, yeah. right? So there's a human side to Kanye West we all fell in love with and still are in love with his music. Yeah. Right and is just as persona, so he gives off that certain level of frequency. The hate part is is how that message is being delivered. Right, he's not delivering that code or that program how we're supposed to be taking. I mean, when he had the first album, we all loved it, right? Because he delivered it, he acted a certain way. Boom. Now, you know, he's out of pocket, yeah. right? He's not delivering it in this way. to the set of behaviors that were expected. Right, that we, we conduct by. So. Mm. so the so the game who collaborated with him on uh, the recent single, uh, where, where actually a lot of this kind of Pete Davidson trolling happened, he wrote in a post, he said, time and again, they show us that they only want to steal our culture, not allow us to ever be their equals. And then he goes on to say, you know, basically that the Grammys have at the last minute, at the last minute decided to pull Kanye from performing on the show as if we didn't know it was coming. And then he goes on to speculate the reasons why. But there was a sense in that comment, and some of the, the, the swirl around this has been maybe there's some racism, maybe it's a lack of hip-hop. I'm not sure I buy those, those examples because I think that, that w- that's not something that I see as evident here. I'm also, though, a cringe on this. I think these are artists, number one. The starting point is they're artists, and you kind of get a little bit of what you get. And I also got to tell you that if it was a fear that Kanye would say some crazy, you know, Donald Trump insult, or if it was some crazy thing against, uh, I don't know, Republican politicians, I don't think anybody would be concerned. Like, bring him, bring him, let him say something completely crazy. So it's a certain kinds of thing, a certain kind of thing that I think they're worried about. And to your point about there being some kind of social conventions, I think there are. Look, there are things that are illegal or slanderous to say. You can't, if he got up there and said this, you know, the place is on fire, everybody run. Like, they sh- he should be arrested, right? There's there a law for that. A, forgive me for saying this. Yeah. I love him as an artist. <laughs> Again, watch this documentary on Golden Knife. There is a song in there. He threatens his current lover mm-hmm. sundown mm. and it was a top 10 hit it was out in this and no one said nothing 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 yeah it, the song literally threatens someone's like, life someone's life this is what i'm gonna do to you and he's been accused of you know and and i i don't think he's been charged but he's been accused of you know physical abuse yeah. that song was a top 10 hit mm. right mm. nothing happened you can say okay it was a 70s different time unfortunately we looked the other way yeah. right it's uh, there is a double standard, 
Well, that's the other thing. I mean, if you look at like all the other artists who are going to be here, right, and and all the artists that are going to be awarded, and you know, go through every back, you know, every statement that they've made or whatever. I mean, I'm sure you could find some things that would be like, wait, wait a minute, he probably can't say that on the stage. But it just seems like a really unworkable litmus test to say like, well, here's the things that we are afraid you might say, um, and 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 what you are allowed to say. So for me, and especially in a setting where the whole point of this is recognizing artistry in music, right? It just seems like a really sort of tone-deaf response, irrespective of what you may feel about about Kanye, because, again, he's done very controversial things, right? He's uh, made statements of support in, accused, uh, in, in support of accused sex offender Marlon, uh, Marilyn Manson. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of support for DaBaby, who's got a lot of, you know, homophobic accusations that have been, you know, leveled against him. He's been in, in the past both a, a hater and a fan of Donald Trump. So there's all these different things that are like big watchouts, grenades, landmines that could go off. And so you, I guess you can get a sense of, well, wow, we hope he doesn't say any of those things. But man, that's a tough litmus test because now you got to apply that evenly, or at least you should. And it's not. It's being pretty applied uh, singularly here. At least it seems that way. But it'd be, I mean, Kanye will never tell you, but he's probably have seen some things. So, right, he's gotten into certain places, certain experiences, and then just the average person that has not seen, right? And I mean, look, is he crazy? No, that's mm-hmm. dismissive. It if is. you call him crazy, he's not crazy. He's just on a certain vibe he right is. now, and it's uh, and he's being triggered by so many things, right? So unfortunately. The message is being lost. What Kanye is trying to do, yeah, right? maybe a difference between the message and the method, right? His method is, yeah, is not. But I think the, all of that is secondary to whether or not he should be able to perform at this thing. So, ultimately, that's why I'm a cringe, and so we end in agreement there. Yeah, I think across yeah. the board, Wally. I, I think so. That's another reason I want you back. All See, right, I love I mean, it. this is a much yeah. better conversation. <laughs> I'm just playing. Anything you want the audience to know about? Uh, uh, happy Tuesday. There you go. Uh, Chargers. Chargers. I think we're back. A lot of a uh, lot, lot of acquisition this year. We yeah. got Khalil Mack. We got Jackson. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Khalil Mack, man. I mean, he was a. Uh, it seems like he needs to. Uh, hopefully, this environment brings him back to what his potential yeah. actually. When is. he was with the Raiders, he was, he was with the Raiders. He was unstoppable, and then he went to the Bears, and I was like, we forgot all about him. And now, hopefully, you know, yeah. it's like he comes back and does something. Strong defense this year. Beautiful. All right. Go Chargers. Thank you. All right, brother. All right. If you're listening to this show, it's time to subscribe. Share this episode with a friend. Let's make the show grow. We'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.